That's the most popular of Brother Hale's songs. Sung all over the country as a chorus, Oh, how merciful. Well, you remember last Sunday night, we talked about the Lord's Supper, or that having the cup and uh, eating the bread in remembrance of him. And we told you that Judas wasn't there. It was just 11, 11 disciples. We also told you that uh, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, we had four wonderful chapters of preaching in the Gospel of John that was given to them there in that upper room. 14, 15, 16, and 17 chapters of John were given to just the 11 disciples. Now we're going to start with verse 47. This is the actual taking of the Lord Jesus Christ in the garden. I had made comment on verse 45, though, in verse 46, where he says, sleep on, take your rest, and he doesn't say but a, a dozen words more, and he says, rise, get up, your sleeping's over. So uh, that's a little mysterious, too, why he would tell him to sleep on and then tell him to get up. All right, verse 47, and while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, why does it say one of the twelve? Because he's one of the original twelve, not the ones that are with him right now. One of the twelve came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same is he, holding fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, are ye come out against, are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants 
to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the councils sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and they said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? Which is it? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. Let's bow our heads. Father, this is a wonderful portion of thy word, and we ask you to bless it to our hearts. Teach our hearts about our Lord's last moments here on earth as a flesh-and-blood human being. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen. I have to say as a flesh-and-blood human being because our Lord came back and didn't have any blood. The resurrected body doesn't have blood motivated by God's Spirit. All right, we can start now back with verse 47. And we find that it must be easy to draw a crowd. While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came in with him a great multitude. So it don't tell us just how many. But it's a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, holding fast. You know, Judas, it's, it's just hard to imagine how this man could, could do this after being with the Lord Jesus Christ, except his heart and nature were never touched by God's Holy Spirit. All the disciples were weak. They had their faults. They did things and said things they shouldn't. But to actually go out to betray the Lord Jesus Christ It's this is just another amazing thing of the scriptures. Now it was prophesied he would do that, and he was born to that end. Of course, in, in the Lord's prayer in John 17, he says, "I have lost none but the son of perdition." He always was the son of perdition, and there's no changing an individual if God doesn't do it. This great multitude comes with swords 
and staves. Maybe there were some shepherds in there too with these big long sticks. And they came from the religious group, chief priests and elders of the people. Uh, an interesting addition to this scripture, if you'll turn to John 18. John 18, we start with verse 1. This is a fill-in for our scripture. When Jesus had spoken these words, you see, and Judas wasn't there, all these words from John 14, 15, 16, and 17, when he had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into which he entered, and his disciples. Now, in the book of John, it does not tell about Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. But it brings us right to Judas, verse 2, And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am. It says, I am he. But you see, he's in parenthesis. He spoke to them as Jehovah God. I am, that's his name, the great I am. They're always present. Past, present, and future, I am is always present. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Now, it's not talking in here about Judas's kiss. It's talking about the power of our almighty God Savior. As soon as he had said unto them, I am... The great words of God, they went backward and fell to the ground. You see, Matthew don't tell us that, Mark don't tell us that, Luke don't tell us that, John does. The whole multitude fell to the ground backwards when the Lord Jesus Christ said he was the great I Am. Then ask ye them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's probably when Judas came forward and gave him a kiss. Okay, you can hold that place there with your finger now, because we will come back to it shortly. Back to Matthew 26. Of all things, to betray someone with a kiss. A kiss is so sacred. A kiss is supposed to be a show of affection from the heart. A kiss is wonderful. But to betray someone with a kiss, Judas has put a curse on lovemaking. Whomsoever I shall kiss the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. He never called him Lord. Never called him Lord. And kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? What's your reason for coming but 
We don't have a chance of any answer there. Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now this is interesting. Who do you think did that? The same one had always struck out first even with his mouth or with his tongue, Peter. Turn to John 18.10. John 18.10 Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. He even gives you the servant's name, so there's no mistake. This is not a fable. It's an actual happening with an actual person. The servant's name was Malchus. Now the question is, is what's Peter doing with his sword? Did the disciples always walk around with weapons? Like David Karash over there in Waco, store up some automatic weapons and have a store as you go shoot an army down? Well, let's look into that. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 36 through 38. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script or his money, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now, this is our Lord talking to these eleven disciples. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And this is what was written. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. So, they never carried weapons around with them, but at this time they obtained two swords. And Peter got one of them. Now, Peter's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. He takes a whack at Malchus' head in order to cut it off, and he missed, and he cut off his ear. Brings up another interesting situation. While you're there in Luke 22, look at verse 50 and 51. And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear, even letting you know which one it was. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. You know what that means? That every single one of those individuals in the multitude that saw the Lord Jesus Christ put that man's ear back on his head totally, willfully rejected the Son of God. Nobody else ever did anything like that. Nobody else ever will do anything. And they all witnessed it. Look what our Lord says about that in John 10.38. John 10.38 Trying 
trying to reason with people. Verse 37, But if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. There was a work. There was a wonderful work. He touched his ear and healed him. Nobody was converted by the miracle. And nobody does get converted by miracles. Miracles of healing, miracles of people coming back from the dead, any kind of miracle does not save an individual when they see it. Only God's work in the heart of reproving of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay. Back to Matthew 26. They'd just gotten through telling the disciples, get you some swords. They get two, he said, that's enough. And now, the Lord tells Peter, verse 52, Then said Jesus unto him, unto Peter, Put up thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Peter, and what a character, always the one to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, had the Lord not healed that man's ear, they may have all been slaughtered on the spot, because the multitudes had swords and staves and weapons. Our Lord took care of the malfunctioning Peter. Now, this next verse is very interesting also. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? You and I don't know very much about angels. Only from the Bible do we know that angels exist. They have played a prominent part in the history of Israel. They've played a prominent part or a good part in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know one time they came to him in that temptation in the very beginning of his ministry. He was ministered to by an angel. He was ministered to by an angel in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's had resurrected saints come back and talk to him like Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. But we still are held kind of in the dark about angels because you and I are flesh and blood. We're body people. Angels are not body people. Yet they can appear in a body. When these angels appear like they did in the first chapter of Acts to talk to the disciples, they didn't have any blood. It says two men in white spoke to them. They didn't have any blood. Angels don't have blood. Okay? But they're very powerful beings. They have the ability of space travel. To travel at speed of thought. 
twelve legions of these guys? At least we know there's that many. But there's a lot more. He's only pulling out a number. How many angels there are, I, I wouldn't have the slightest idea. We have a brief oh, consolidation of numbers in, in, in early Revelation, what, Revelation 6 or 7. Uh, Revelation 5, 11. Melinda's into mathematics, but I don't think she's going to figure this one out. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, but there were others with them, not just angels, and the beasts and the elders. Of course, you can count the beasts and the elders. I think there's four beasts and twelve elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Now, I don't know how you multiply that, what they exactly had in mind, but that that's a lot, a lot of angels. And they're all about the throne, praising the Lord. One angel over there in the book of Isaiah slew, let me see how many that was. It's Isaiah 37, verse 36. It says, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's a hundred and eighty-five thousand he just wiped out that night. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, there they were all dead corpses, 185,000, one angel. When the death angel passed over Egypt, there were more than that got killed. One angel, okay? So our Lord is not here just totally helpless. What he is doing is showing his love to you and me by suffering at the hands of mankind. And he gives the reason in verse 54, but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? What scriptures? Well, take for instance Psalm 22. Look at verse 16 through 18. Psalm 22, 16 through 18. This has to be fulfilled because it's written in here. For the dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. There was no such thing as crucifixion when David wrote this. It was later to be invented by the Romans. And yet, prophesied exactly. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. When you're stretched out upon a cross, you can. You can probably count them all. Another magnificent prophecy, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Exactly what the soldiers did 
for the garments of our Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't want to cut them up, so they cast lots for them. That's just one of the scriptures to be fulfilled. Stay in Psalm, but look at Psalm 129.3. Psalm 129.3. Now our great God, in his pre-planning of the scheme of redemption, all the things that the God-man would have to suffer, he could have eliminated this. He wouldn't have had to have David write this down. But he did. And because it was written, it would have to be fulfilled, literally, in the God-man Redeemer. Psalm 129.3, The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. Boy, is that ever awful. Where is that? Well, take a look at John 19.1. John 19.1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, had him whipped, only because the scriptures said it had to be. One more thing to be fulfilled. Look at Zechariah 12.10. Now, if our Lord wasn't to be pierced, this scripture wouldn't be in here. But this scripture was in here long before they pierced his hands and feet and once again, it tells you about that. Verse 10, And I'll pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Interesting, huh? How does anybody else, anybody else in the world know how they're going to die? There is not one of us in here tonight know how we are going to die. It's possible that one of us may be pierced, but it's improbable. But for God's word to tell you this in two places about him being pierced, and then for them to crucify him is an amazing conclusion to the prophecy to show you that this is God's book and it's divinely inspired. Okay. Let's go back to Matthew 26 and verse 55. In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, to those that came out to get him, not to any kindly multitudes that he was going to feed now with loaves and fishes and preach to. No, this is the group come out to get him. Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. Ye all know me. What's the reason for this? But he also tells them, 
He's putting the blame right on top of them. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Another fulfilling of the scriptures. Look at Zechariah 13, 7. Maybe they would have wanted to stay. But Zechariah 13, 7, the sheep says the sheep are going to be scattered, and so something in them tells them to run. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and his sheep shall be scattered. And I'll turn mine hand upon the little ones. It says, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Look at Psalm 69, 4. Psalm 69, 4. They that, they that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty, then I restore that which I took not away. They that hate me without a cause, there was not a single cause for any of these people to want to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John 18, 15. John 18, 15. You see, oftentimes the Bible will say all of the disciples did this or they all did that or all the people of the world, but sometimes all doesn't mean just all. When you have an exception, and here's an exception to all of them running away. Verse 15 in John 18. And Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. That disciple was known under the high priest. This disciple he's talking about is John. And went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. So Peter and John did not run and hide. They followed Christ. John went right in with him, right in the palace. Peter followed afar off. And it's interesting what happens to Peter when he gets in there. Verse 57 in Matthew 26. And they that had made hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Boy, did they have that one laid out perfectly. They were already there waiting because they had paid Judas. Judas says, don't worry, fellas, I'll get the job done. I know exactly where he is. It'll take just such and such a time to get there. Give me a nice big group, because uh, this guy always has about 11 or 12 guys with him, you know. But uh, let, let's take about 50 or 60 or 100, and then they won't be able to do anything. Judas had it all planned, and so did the high priest and the elders. They're all there waiting. Verse 58, But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. See, Matthew doesn't tell us how he got in, but one of the other Gospels tells us how some little maid let him in. 
Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. In order to put anybody to death under the Jewish economy, you had to have witnesses, two or three. It can't be just one person's word against. You got to have somebody with concrete evidence. It says in verse 60, but they found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. I don't quite understand that how, what did they mean false witnesses came? What did they have to say, these other false witnesses that didn't amount to anything? I don't know. Uh, at the last came two false witnesses or somebody that they had hired I guess to say something against Christ and they said in verse 61 this fellow said I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days now you all remember that that was in the very, very beginning of our Lord's ministry. In fact, it's in John 2.19. Right, what was it, right after that wedding at Cana? He had the wedding at Cana, then he went down to Capernaum and... Uh, in, in John 2.19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he doesn't answer them. But we are giving the answer in the scriptures. He spake of the temple of his body. You destroy this body, you crucified, and in three days I'll raise it up. That's what the spiritual meaning was when he said, destroy the temple. You see, now, when it comes to the trial day, nobody knows the spiritual meaning. And our Lord did say that, and they didn't understand it. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. I'm amazed that Caiaphas did this because I feel that he knew that he was. Maybe not. But he's going to use his position and his authority to command the Lord Jesus Christ to tell him. Jesus answered, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. In other words, you say it, fellow. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. How is Caiaphas going to see this? Do you remember our message this morning? And ye that put far away that evil day. Caiaphas had his day coming. Caiaphas will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. Because all judgment has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is a man.
Spirits don't judge people. The Lord Jesus Christ as the God-man has been appointed the judge of all mankind by God the Father. And he tells Caiaphas, you're going to see me, the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. That did it. Then the high priest rent his clothes. You know what he did? He condemned himself. He totally condemned himself by renting his clothes. That's one thing that the high priest was not supposed to do is to rend his garments. Want to see it? Leviticus 21.10. Leviticus 21.10. And he that is the high priest among his brethren, is the high priest now, upon whose head the anointing oil is poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. Oh, but this show of tremendous piety, his show of humiliation, his show of total abhorment of what the Lord said. He rends his clothes. You see what he did? He totally ruined himself in his position. The high priest was not to rend his garments. Then he said in verse 65, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard this his blasphemy. What think ye, people? They answered and said, He is guilty of death by saying, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Is that ever backed up in Scripture? Did anybody else ever have that told to him about him coming again? We'll turn to Acts, the first chapter. The very first chapter of Acts. We find the Lord being taken up into heaven in a cloud, which was the Shekinah glory. And he's coming back the same way, but he's also coming with the saints. But, and they're called a cloud of witnesses. But here it says, verse 9, Acts 1, 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Remember, I told you they had no blood. They were angels. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming in a cloud. But there's also a great cloud of witnesses coming with him. Well, our time is up for tonight. We're going to uh, kind of hold off right here where they said he's guilty of death and then we'll go into the other horrible punishments and things that they did to our Lord Jesus Christ 
just prior to them crucifying him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this study tonight. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you that we can learn of the wonderful patience and love of our Lord Jesus Christ standing in our place. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for suffering and dying in our place. We'll never have words to thank you. We'll never have time enough to speak words if we had them. It'll take all eternity to be thanking thee for rescuing us from the lake of fire, where we deserve to go because we're sinners. These things are so embedded into our hearts and minds, knowing, knowing what we deserve and knowing that the grace of God has taken that punishment from us and laid it upon one who is perfectly innocent. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask you to bless this people as they go. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.